Welcome to the Optimal Mindset. I'm your host, Johnny Taylor. I started this show because I am fascinated by human capabilities and performance. Why is it that certain people reach their potential and how does their mindset help them to succeed? I want to understand what are the tools, tactics and strategies high achievers use to optimize their mind and achieve greatness. In these episodes, we'll be speaking to some of my personal idols from sports and performance to discover the definition of an optimal mindset and how we can train our own minds to achieve our biggest dreams. Please follow the show on Instagram and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can share out the inspiring messages within each episode with a wider audience. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. Welcome to today's show. Today's guest is Karen Anderson. Thanks for joining us today, Karen. Thank you. Karen is a master certified life coach who works with clients on topics such as mother-daughter relationships, healthy boundaries, and shame. She's written four incredible books, including her newest book, You Are Not Your Mother. And I love your mission statement, which is to help daughters to overcome shame and step out more confidently into the world. And I really uh, hope we're going to unpack that today. So thanks for just being a truly inspirational guest, and I can't wait to find out more. So could you give me some background about yourself and kind of how you got into such a unique field? Um, this question, I always tend to answer the same way. And I got into it because I have a mother. <laughs> and um, back, I'd say maybe 20-ish years ago, I started to experience a lot of um, unpleasant I was having a lot of unpleasant experiences related to my mom and um, there was a lot that I didn't know or understand. And um, I eventually cut ties with my mom that happened at the end of 2010. And um, from there, you know how life is. It's like you just, you're in my case felt like I was just sort of floating along and um, I had, I was doing a lot of, personal writing, like blogging and that kind of thing. And I was meeting people in personal development and coaching and, you know, coaches and that kind of thing. And, um, I decided to do some coach training. And at the time I was thinking that I would be focused on, um, like body image and weight and fitness for women. And it was during that uh, during that training that a lot of, and I, at the time, um, I was still estranged from my mom and a lot of my mother stuff was coming up and the coaching that I was receiving. And I will also say that I, you know, had therapy as well. Um, it just really opened my eyes to what is possible. And, um, when you decide to heal that relationship, and in ways that I had never considered before. And so one thing led to another. And because I'm a writer, first and foremost, um, I wrote my first book on the subject. And um, it just all sort of flowed from there. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, how did you, is it something you just kind of stumbled across? Or how did you kind of find that, this idea of healing the relationship with your mother? How did you kind of come across that information? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think back then. Um, I think there was somebody, and I don't remember who it was, who was talking about what was, you know, something called the mother wound. 
And, you know, I started to pay attention to that and, and read up on that. And, um, you know, it all made just so much sense. And I know probably you have other questions, but I'll, that might ask this question, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it now because, um, I think what I, what I see is that what I also, let me back up and say, what I started to realize is that I was not alone, that a lot of other women were coming to me to, or telling me that they had similar issues with their moms. Um, I'm 60, just for reference, and technically I'm a boomer, I guess, but um, the women of my generation and maybe like Gen X um, with their mothers who are like older boomers or in the silent generation, that there seemed to be this thing. Not to mention also that my mom, my own mom had a very um, stressed out, stress, stressful relationship with her mother. Um, and so I, that like from a bigger picture standpoint, I started to realize like, okay, yes, it's one daughter and one mother and they're maybe having these issues, but like, there is a greater context and what is that context and that context is inequality for women women are who are not, you know women are not valued equally in our culture and haven't been ever um white supremacy believe it or not patriarchy misogyny like all the things right that we're all talking about a lot more now than we were maybe even 10 15 years ago i mean obviously in certain cultures they have been talking about it. Um, and as a white woman named Karen, <laughs> um, right. Like I, I can see my own role in sort of like how this has all been playing out, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a micro and it's a macro and, and, and that context I think is important to understand that it's not like, this is just a bad mother or, or you are a pathetic daughter or a weak daughter or a, something wrong with you, right? This is, this is systemic and it's happening in the context of those, those um, systems and oppressions and, and whatnot. And I think it's also, what's really cool about you is the fact that you're actually using the information that you found, but also now you're inspiring others, right? And you're helping people that, that were in your position and maybe didn't know anything about it back then, and then now they can lean on you and they can use you as a resource to, to understand more, more themselves, right? Yeah, well, it's been fascinating because um, there are, I, I am on TikTok now, and um, <laughs> that has opened up a whole sort of new world for me, and there are lots of younger people who are doing similar work or, and talking about similar things, and so um, it is sort of exploding right now, this concept. And it's funny because um, I do work with some moms um, who want to improve the relationship they have with their children. But I also, just yesterday, in fact, um, sometimes get some not so nice um, feedback from mothers who think that I'm encouraging their daughters to, you know, never talk to them again, which is far from what I do. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so one of the, one of the things that you mentioned is, and I've never really heard of this, so I'm kind of interested to unpack this. Is a daughter that maybe wants to outshine their mother? How how would that manifest then in like a relationship? And, and maybe what advice would you give to someone because it's something I've never really come across before. 
so the it's interesting to sort of say well why why wouldn't a mother want her daughter to outshine her and and maybe let's not say outshine i mean i know that's language i've used um but um i think that due to uh, things like narcissism or narcissistic tendencies, which, okay, we're not all, um, it's not all, all of us don't have the disorder, but we do have tendencies from time to time. Um, their own women's own reg- mother's own regrets about, you know, their own unfulfilled dreams. Um, those kinds of things will make a mother, um, or I should say make a, a, an adult daughter start stop striving towards her achievements because she doesn't like there's there's some sort of resistance that the mom has to her daughter progressing and advancing or shining or whatever it is that she wants to do um right she may the daughter might be met with anger or ridicule or silence or you know it, it or shame you know it, it's it's uh it's it's sometimes it's really obvious, but a lot of times it's just very subtle. It's like um, all a mother has to do is look at her daughter a certain way. And I think this what this stems from, going back to that macro position, is that for centuries, millennia, women who don't fit the narrow role what or the narrow uh, view of what a woman should be whether it's how she looks or what she does or who she chooses as a partner, et cetera, et cetera, um, quite literally could die, right? Back many years, you know, centuries ago, she could be stoned to death. She could be drowned. She could be cast out of the tribe, like all of those things. And so a mother, if she perceives that her daughter is going outside of that narrow definition of what's okay for a woman, she will, right? And it's this weird kind of protection and it's not conscious. I don't think, right. It's, but it lives within us that we need to conform to those narrow definitions or else we're going to die. So it seems like, okay, a woman who's deciding like, and I will, my own experience, the very first book that I wrote, which, um, is it wasn't about mother daughter relationships, but um, my mom knew about it, and I think she was terrified on some level. So what did she do? She shamed me, and she tried to like tell me that I was stupid for wanting to publish a book. And um, I can understand that, <laughs> but it's this is my life to live, and so all of those things, there's some practical things understanding that, right? But there's also, as I said, this macro understanding that I think is really important for people to hear as to the why. Why wouldn't a daughter just go out and do what she wants to do? Would you say that those, I mean, that conversation with the mother, would, would you say that that is, let's say that you came across someone who's like, and you explained it to them, would you say that that is a, I mean, you must be a good person at handling tricky conversations because that might be difficult for them to hear, right? Like, how would you, how would you bridge that relationship with the the client you're working with? So are you asking like what I would suggest the client say to her mother? No, I'm more asking down the lines of like, if you had a client and you were working with maybe the mother and you were explaining what you had just explained to us then, like, how would you go about 
getting that point across to the mother because obviously that's going to be difficult for her to hear. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think under, just understanding the dynamic is helpful. Um, and whenever I work with a client, whether she's the mother or the daughter, I have them focus on the, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how they're showing up in the world. And um, with the understanding also that underlying all of this is our human nervous system, right? Which we can think and have logic and all that all we want, but when there is, um, when we're having a stress response, survival response, trauma response, however you want to put that, right? The body's intelligence takes over and to, to keep us alive, right? The body is only about, am, are we about to die or not, <laughs> right? It's not, there's no, you know, um, logic or discernment or nuance there, right? It's, it's are we alive or, or are we going to about to die? And so it's about learning how to support your nervous system first, right? So, you know, am I perceiving a threat here? Right. Like even in this conversation that we're having, like I am paying attention to my own nervous system. Right. Because like, I don't know you. Right. Like, yes, I trust you. And we've had some back and forth and emails. Right. But on a bodily level, the body is like, OK, this is this is not normal. Like this isn't your normal thing. What something could go wrong here. <laughs> right. So I'm no, like. Right. So teaching someone how to pay attention to what's happening in their bodies Right. And to interpret that and to know like, oh, um, this is because I'm, you know, this could be a threat. I might say something really stupid and then everyone will hate me <laughs> and then I will be cast out. My husband will divorce me and I'll end up living in a van down by the river. Right. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of what the body is doing. So, you know, talking to whether it's a mother or an adult daughter, right, the adult daughter who is deciding, you know what, I really do want to push myself out of this um, box that I've put myself in because I'm afraid to outshine my mom, right? How can I create that safety first? So that's the first thing is creating safety, understanding how to support the nervous system. The second piece um, that I always work with, whether it's a mother or a daughter, is what I call intentional identity or self-concept, which that's a you know, that's a psychological term. And that's like, who do we think we are? And that is more related to our mindset. Um, and I don't, well, women in general, but I, you know, I think most of us, do we actually really take the time to understand what it is that we truly value, what we truly desire, what our preferences are, right? Women are taught, no, your job is basically to take care of other people. And so it's about, when, when I talk about creating intentional identity, it's not about changing who you are. It's a sort of more about stripping away that which doesn't serve what it, whatever it is you decide you want. So intentional identity process, there, there's a whole process around, around doing that. And then the, the third piece is boundaries. And that is a subject that a lot of people have addressed over the years in many, many different ways. Um, 
And I see boundaries as being um, not just what we don't want or what's not okay in our in our world, right? In our uh, in our space, but it's also about what we want to grow and have more of. Right? This is okay. That's not okay. And with the understanding that we're not trying to control somebody else's behavior. Other people get to behave however they want, and we get to decide if we want to be around it when they're behaving that way. Mm, I like that. And yeah, I, I agree. I think often when we think about boundaries, we think about it as like saying no to something, right? But I like this idea that you've kind of given about permissing and like maybe bringing in more of what we do want, right? Which is which is the positive positive can i jump back to your question or i kind of have a follow-up on you talked about this idea of like nervous system regulation and like how you your mind might run away with you and be like you know like you said you might end up you know saying something wrong and getting judged and then your husband leaves you but like in that moment how do you like is there anything practically that you could do to bring yourself back to the present and try and avoid that kind of catastrophe thinking um, yes. Uh, first of all, you have to understand that you have a nervous system and that it is not, um, uh, stupid. It's, or, or silly or weak or pathetic. Um, I think we, we've, we've had a culture that says that if you run away, it's bad. If you fight, that's bad or, or, oh, that's actually really good. I think everybody kind of thinks fight is the best. Um, or if you freeze, Right. If you if your tendency is to shrink down and hide. Right. That means you're weak. Right. People pleasing is a form of um, a nervous system response. It's let me keep make sure everybody around me is OK. Right. So that we're all safe and everything's OK. Um, and so first it's understanding, OK, I have a nervous system. It's not right or wrong. Its job is to keep me safe. And yep. Um, there is no actual threat, like no, the lion isn't at the door, but the body doesn't know the difference between a lion at the door and feeling disappointed, <laughs> right? Um, it's it's uncomfortable. It's a, It feels like a threat. So, okay, like how human of me, right, is one of my favorite ways to, when I notice myself, feeling slightly activated, like, oh, of course, of course, I'm feeling that way, right? I'm a human. I've got a nervous system. It's um, just a very simple practice is to be able to track what's happening in your body. Like as we're here talking, right, I'm noticing that um, my legs are slightly tense. I'm noticing that my heart rate is slightly high. That doesn't mean I'm like super activated, you know, beyond. It just means I'm, I'm engaged Right. My body is uh, wanting to make sure that I'm alert. Right. It's it's prepping me to be responsive and reactive in this moment, not reactive necessarily. But right. So I in being able to track and see, oh, OK, my heart's right, you know, and saying all that and like and yep, I'm safe. Everything's cool here. It's OK. But most of us. And myself included, I'm not always doing this. It takes a lot of practice, um, but we're not paying attention to that. We're just reacting to what's happening without even like noticing it. And I often say that probably the biggest cause of 
the hard conversations that a mother and daughter might have is because it's not their two sort of authentic selves having the conversation. It's their triggered nervous systems. Right? So being able to support, and there is a ton of information out there. I am not a somatic practitioner. I'm not a therapist or a social worker. Like, I don't have, I don't have the, the training like to be a trauma. I'm not a trauma therapist. I know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> not dangerous, literally, but you know what I mean? Like I know enough about it so that I can work with myself on it and I can point people to resources, but there's so much out there. You just Google nervous system regulation, trauma responses, survival responses, and you're, you know, it's great. But being oh, able that's... to see that as intelligence rather than as a, as a, uh, what do you call it? Like a liability. It's not a liability. It's intelligent. That's so powerful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I think often, yeah, like uh, I think you said something about responding and uh, you said something about reacting, which is something that often when we're, when we're not present, when we're not here right now, we just kind of let, let things happen. We just instantly react. And something I like to do is just like, if you think about meditation, it's just responding rather than reacting to the stimulus. And, and that's really powerful. So, so thanks for sharing. Um, so another thing that's really interesting about you, and I've not really come across this in, in the field of like personal growth, psychology and other books, is this idea of shame. Um, <laughs> do you want to maybe talk about what it is? Because I am completely a blank slate here and I've not really heard of it. And, and how you work with someone who is experiencing shame. Well, I'm going to actually read my definition of shame from my book that just came out. And I will also say that um, my work and my understanding of shame has been greatly influenced by many people, but mostly including Brene Brown and uh, a man named David Bedrick, who is writing a book also about shame. Um, but this is how I describe shame. Sh uh, shame is a painful, destructive, and nearly unbearable experience one made up of thoughts, feelings, sensations, movements, postures, and internal voices and images that creates both a disconnection from yourself and a barrier between yourself and others. It comes from being made to believe and then internalizing the belief that there is something fundamentally wrong with you. This can come in the form of harsh criticism or judgment from a caregiver or other person who is important to you it can also come from abuse. And so the words being said to you, like what's wrong with you, you should be ashamed of yourself, etc., quickly become what's wrong with me. I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm not okay the way I am. And the older we become, the more sophisticated these thoughts become. And they seem to be more factual. They seem to feel more factual. Like you're just reporting the weather. I'm just being ridiculous. I'm stupid. I'm silly. And it sounds innocuous and maybe even humorous. But what ridiculous means is deserving or inviting derision or mockery or absurdity. These sentences in your brain are not facts at all. You simply live like they are. And wow, That's really powerful, yeah. And I think the word shame is so loaded... <laughs> that we don't even want to like consider because we think that if I'm feeling or experiencing shame, I must deserve to, 
it must, I must, the reason I'm feeling it must be actually proof that I am a bad, terrible person. And so we just want to ignore it. And that's why nobody talks about it. <laughs> mm, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's not, not spoken. So how would you, obviously you work with people that are experiencing shame. What would be some of the, the things that you dive into and some of the practical tools that you work with that individual? Well, we've already talked about some of them. Um, I think number one is understanding the process of shame. Again, this book outlines a lot of the practices that I, um, that I use. Um, let me just look at the, let me look at the table of contents because it'll be helpful. Um, right. Understanding what exactly is shame. How did we get here even? Right. And I, I shared a little bit about that before. Um, understanding that it is, it could be an evolutionary, an evolutionary adaptation that at one time, kind of like we needed an appendix at one time, but we don't need an appendix. I think maybe shame served a purpose evolutionarily that it doesn't serve anymore. Um, so getting in touch with the nervous system, right? Being able to understand that shame tends to put us in a freeze state. So how do I bring myself out? Like if I'm noticing that I'm, you know, like shame has its own posture, right? It's tends to be shrink curled, um, you know, head down, shoulders down, right? Um, curled up. So, okay. I open up my posture, right? A freeze state, right? We're, we're sort of losing our reality. We're losing our access to our words. We're, um, out of our bodies, maybe a little dissociating. And again, not, I'm not talking about like full on, right. But just slightly, right. So how can I bring myself back into my body? Right. And, and so I know people can't see what I'm doing, but I'm patting my shoulders, patting the, my upper arms with my hands. Right. I have a body. I'm in my body. I'm like, I'm bringing, reminding myself quite literally on a bodily level that I'm here. I haven't disappeared. So that's just very, very simple stuff. Um, and that's on a more physical somatic level <clears throat> from a mindset perspective. Um, there's, I, I think it can be, we can actually have fun with it. We can um, name or sort of create a caricature of who is that inner shamer? Like, what do they look like? And when I've done this practice, the, and I, I remember doing this many years ago, um, and I've actually never seen the show, but there is a show that was called Absolutely Fabulous. And I think it comes out of England. I think it does. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I vaguely, I vaguely. And there is a character whose name is Patsy Stone in that television show and she's like this tall thin blonde lady with her hair all perfect and she's kind of got this like snooty sneery look on her face and she's got a cigarette and that's like the embodiment of my inner shamer and she like you know looks at me like you pathetic idiot like <laughs> right like you I put you put the tone of the voice and you play with it and you're like that's what it is right so we want to be able to identify what it sounds like and what she looks like or he looks like or it. Um, and in doing so, then we can externalize it a little 
which also reminds me, I have another practice for externalizing shame because I don't think we can necessarily get rid of it forever. So one of my little practices is I call it putting your shame in a box. And inside I have this little box and inside of it are my three main shame-based thoughts. I have them written on little pieces of paper. Here's one. It says, I'm a selfish, spoiled brat. <laughs> the other two are, I'm bad and I'm a pathetic loser. Those are particular, you know, those are my specific shame-based thoughts that I identified by remembering times in my life, especially from childhood, when I felt shame and like what was, ha like I identified what was happening, who, what was, what were people doing? Who was I with? What were they saying to me? What had I done, etc. So being able to, and I keep this right on my desk, being able to, to see it there reminds me like it's not in here here I mean it is in here sometimes right but it's out there and like of course my brain is still going to offer me those thoughts from time to time right but now I can I have some distance you know and I, there's mm. a lot of different practices the intentional identity is part of the practice too right so like I have the thought I'm bad or I'm pathetic but I also have the thought, and I've had it for many, many years, that I'm a writer, right? So part of that process of creating intentional identity is not about coming up with thoughts that you've maybe never, never thought or trying to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. It's, can I look back at other experiences in my life when maybe I was feeling very moved by something, right? Or I was like really in the zone and feeling really on purpose. And like in those moments, what was happening? Who was I with? What was I thinking? What was I seeing in myself? Right. And just starting to write out some of those things, right. Those are thoughts that I can now put on paper. And, and like when I see those thoughts, right. I, I, one of my, one of my favorite ones is not just, I'm a writer, but I write beautiful things. And there's a story associated with that. And all I have to do is remember that story and see, oh yeah, I write beautiful things. And I'm, I can feel literally in my body now as I'm telling you this. And I like that experience, that, that sensory experience that I'm having, right? Because shame is also a sensory experience. So, mm. right? It's wow. you know, how can I balance these shame-based thoughts with other thoughts? That's more the mindset piece, which I know you're really into. <laughs> oh, that's that's so fascinating. And thank you for sharing such practical tools, right? I think you've given us many tools in that, even in that brief moment. And it's almost like when we have uh, a really positive emotional experience, if we can bring ourselves back into that emotional state and feel those emotions and feel how we're feeling when we were happy and when we were, you know, out with some friends or playing sport or whatever, that actually can help balance and regulate our nervous system too, right? Which is, which is fascinating. So if we're thinking about... Um, people that are setting goals or maybe people that are aiming for success do you think that some people set goals from a place of like shame or like maybe frustration or anger compared to 100%. other people who are maybe like more of like an abundance goal setter and and kind of could you maybe touch on what they could do about it if they're if they have this so i am 100 percent the person who sets goals from shame <laughs> 
<laughs> or fear, right? <laughs> or desperation. A hundred percent. I mean, that has been my that has been my experience. And I don't honestly know if <clears throat> I know how not to. I I shouldn't say that. Um I am not a good person to talk to about setting goals. Let me put it that okay. Um, at least not in the traditional sense, the way that, you know, and it's funny you bring up sports and athleticism, um, because I spent, um, I don't know, maybe starting 15 years ago or so, I was like, okay, if I can't be super skinny, I'm going to be super strong. And I started working out with kettlebells. I was kickboxing. I ran a little for about 15 minutes. Relatively speaking, um, and in hindsight, I know it was I love working out with kettlebells, but it it hurt me. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it because I had a shame based belief about myself that I wasn't enough the way I am, and um, I ended up having over the course of I don't know the past ten years or so, I've had three shoulder surgeries. <laughs> oh man, sorry to hear that. Because I wrecked my shoulders lifting heavy um but i guess the way i would put it then is just check what is my motivation for wanting to do this right and 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 maybe find other people <laughs> instead of me <laughs> to, to help you set goals because like you know the whole idea of smart goals and all that it just makes me want to stick pins in my eyes Okay. Oh no, I appreciate you being honest, and, and yeah, I think <laughs> it's funny. I, I I do think that there's like a there is often, and we're going to talk about this later in the in the in the show. But there's like a motivation as to why people do things, and I'd be really I'd be really interested to understand your why um, as to what you you know all the why that you do with mother daughter relationships and and shame. So we'll come back to that. But I've kind of got one more question um, that I want to ask you, and it kind of relates a little bit back to mindset. So how do you think um, this mother-daughter relationship and maybe shame affects mindset? What do you think the relationship is? Mindset of the mother and the daughter or? In... Uh, you can, yeah, you could take it as maybe either, either or whichever, whichever person you want to chat about. So yeah. through the lens of the mother or the daughter. I mean, I think like, when I think about, myself and my mom and my, my grandmother for that matter, who's not, who's no longer here. But, um, and I, I do sort of touch on this story in the book, but, um, I see that we women, and I'll just, I'll use my family as an example, that we were sort of swimming in shame. It was the water we were swimming in and not realizing it was there. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it affected me. I didn't know who I was. I, I, I use, I sort of, another analogy I use, it was like, I had put on a pair of glasses that were like shame goggles. And so everything that happened around me came through that lens and the impact of that for me. And I think for many people is that I didn't know who I am. I couldn't define myself. I couldn't say, I like this. I don't like that. I want to do this. I prefer to do like, right. I just, I, I've sort of described it as I kind of was like a balloon floating in the breeze. Like, just tell me what to do. 
and for as an adult for the first 25 years of my adulthood I not that it was terrible but like um, I had a, a string of very bad relationships um, I, I had a, a fairly good career. I was, <laughs> I was a plastics industry trade magazine journalist, but it's because I didn't know what else to, like, I was like, oh, somebody offered me a job. Okay. I'll take it. Like it wasn't, I wasn't self-directed if that makes sense. Um, and, and as I said, like my shame-based thoughts, the lens, something would happen and, and I would be like, oh, that's because I'm bad or oh, that's because I'm pathetic, or oh, that's because I'm selfish. And so, um, and I was, I was living out of those beliefs. So it was like, you know, you hear in mindset uh, conversations that like, you know, the brain starts to look for evidence of those things being true. And, and the brain likes to collect more and more evidence, right? And so the impact was, was heavy. I mean, it was, it was, Really, it was a very impactful um, experience uh, of years of my life. Oh, did I answer sorry, the question? Did, um, I, I think so in a roundabout way. I think we got there in the end. Yeah, I, I just kind of I follow up on that one. How? I mean, we touched on this, but then is this the point where you found out about the work that you can do with mother-daughter relationships and shame, and then you kind of yeah, learned no, more? So, and... like, yeah, why? Like, why mother-daughter? Um why shame like why that is it if shame exists in all humans it's not just mothers and daughters um and not all mothers and daughters are steeped in it i don't you know as deeply as i was um but i think going back to what i said earlier if we are if women are to have a more uh pivotal direct role in our world as leaders, as w w however it is that we want to be, we have to unshame ourselves. We have to unshame the relation, uh, the relationships we have with our mothers and or daughters in our like our lineage. Even I mean, sort of a woo woo concept, right? But I I do believe that me doing this work unshames my lineage. And I I chose not to have kids. I never wanted to have kids, but I do have I have stepkids who are grown up and and they have kids of their own and. I have seen how my shame uh, has impacted those relationships. And I, for sure, I mean, not just with them, but uh, my, I have siblings um, who I'm my mother's only child, but I have half siblings, same father. Um, how I have, I have uh, tried to offload my own shame onto others, right. To project it onto them. So it absolutely you know, if, if we want to, I don't, if, I don't know if, as I said, like that evolutionary thing, if we can rid ourselves of shame, if eventually we, as humans, we won't experience it the same way. I mean, there's one thing is, yeah, if I do something wrong and if I hurt somebody, I want to know, I want to be able to repair that. Right. So that rupture is, uh, of, in relationships is inevitable as long as we're human, but right. The shame gets in the, in the way of being able to repair and to lead and to, you know, again, to use cliched language, be fully expressed and authentic and <laughs> those things. Mm. So would you say, and this is kind of going back to what I said before, would you, what would you say your 
your purpose or your why is behind all of this work? I know some of the stuff you said then might be part of it, but what what's your overall why as to as to your 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 sense of meaning and purpose for this? It's what do? I just said. Basically, yeah. it's if we are to have if uh, a a more equitable um, world as humans, um, where they're you know again. I don't imagine that I would see all the changes I'd like to see in the world in my lifetime, but right. I can do my part now, you know, so we, without getting into politics and all that stuff, right. Hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> no, I, I do. I like what you said there. I like what you said about doing what you can now. Right. And, and I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and we, we kind of, but just doing, playing your part and doing what you can, if everyone did that, then the world would be a better place, right? And and that's a really good... Yeah, I like that. I think I'm going to remember that. So what is your definition of an optimal mindset? So I know we, this podcast is kind of focused on an optimal mindset. Do you have any any thoughts about what a, an optimal mindset would look like? Yeah, I think for me, it's um, not having a perfect mindset. It's not that I never think negative, bad, hurtful, painful thoughts it's being able to catch myself. It's being able to love myself through when, oh, look, I've just spent four hours believing something terrible about myself. Let me bring myself back. Like, remember your, you remember your intentional identity, Karen? <laughs> to me, that's an optimal mindset is being able to catch yourself sooner, right? It's not about mm. being perfect. It's not about, you're never going to think a negative thing again. It's catching yourself sooner and loving yourself through it. Like this idea of compassionate and being kind to yourself. I agree. I think a lot of people often when they think about mindset, they think about like hustling and like being perfect and like being yeah. the best every time. But often, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail. And it's being compassionate and kind enough to yourself as well in those moments too, right? Yeah. it's. I mean, that is what it is about. And talking again about the nervous system, Every time that we are mean to ourselves, we're dysregulating. So, right? It's not just, you know, it, it, it's it's like micro, it's like a paper, a thousand paper cuts or microaggressions or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes I call it micro shame, right? It's this subtle little stuff and, and we're hurting ourselves with it. It's not, it's also not about, oh, la, 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 sunshine, rainbows and ducks and cute kittens and all that, right? It's, there's real gritty stuff that happens. And um, it's funny, I, I I have a phrase, I I know some people like to choose a word of the year or, you know, that kind of thing. And the beginning of this year, I chose as my sort of guiding principle was fierce love, right? Which means, Mm. right, like, it's not compassion isn't soft all the time right it's fierce sometimes it's like you know i you know another thing i think and i don't know if you would say that animals have a mindset but right it's it's we are animals and so how can we actually honor that fierceness or wildness in us as well Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Fierce, fierce love. Because, yeah, I agree totally with you. I think, especially, you know, sometimes when you start thinking about compassion, people do go down that route of, like, you said, like, bunnies and rabbits and rainbows <laughs> and, like, 
everything's all soft and squishy everything but yeah. actually having that fierce element to it makes it so so profound so yeah that's that's really cool thanks for sharing um so i know and we can link to this in the show notes as well your book is um super transformational it sounds super practical as well with all the ideas in it so i definitely recommend if people want to want to check that out and and read the read that they should um but do you have any and you can recommend your own here as well do you have any transformational books that change your perspective of life like did you do you have any books that you recommend to us so many (laughs) maybe give us your top two or three um so one of them was elizabeth gilbert's book eat pray love um which transformed my understanding of I'll just say God. I'm not a religious person. I'm not Christian. I'm not like any of that, but like universe force, whatever you want to call it. Um, really, really transformed that for me. And I, I love Elizabeth Gilbert's writing in general. I would recommend any of her books, actually big magic. Um, Brene Brown is another, again, anything that she's written. Um, I also, there are a slew of black women who are writing about rest and um, self-care from the perspective, not of like bubble baths and pedicures, but as like a form of justice. Um, And I shoot I didn't write Octavia Ream is one of them one of them is on uh, uh Trisha Hershey Hersey Hershey um on Instagram she's the nap ministry <laughs> that's her mm-hmm. um there's uh, I I think more people especially more white people men and women should be reading the works of black women and yeah, and if you after this after this episode, if you send me the links, we can put those into the show notes as well. Because yeah, I totally agree. That'd be really inspiring. Thank you. So, one thing that's been really cool about this interview is just how many practical steps you've given us and how many tools you've given us that people can take away. But if you could give maybe three actionable steps someone could do to maybe develop a more optimal mindset, or or if they're dealing with some some challenging issues, what would be like the three things you would suggest someone to do? I kind of already said them, but I'll say them again. Yeah. Learn about your nervous system. Get to know it. Appreciate it. Love it. Don't see it as a problem. See it as is intelligence. Along with that is learn how to feel your feelings. And um, think intentionally. Hmm. I love it. Perfect. Those are yeah, three really awesome awesome idea so for our listeners who want to find out more um where can people get hold of you and where can people find you if they wanted to to follow up after yeah the main you know i'm i'm on various social media platforms and my my handle is kcl anderson um and then my website is kclanderson.com i really do i think the coolest thing about you and the unique thing about you is just we're approaching mindset from a through a completely different lens and i just really appreciate you being vulnerable um and just kind of being on a show and, and sharing your thoughts because it's very unique and something that i don't know anything about and, and you've really kind of enlightened me and i hope you've enlightened the people that are listening to us so just thank you so much for giving up your time we, we really appreciate it i appreciate it too i mean when i when i was looking at your episodes i'm like 
hmm, I'm like, I'm not an athlete. <laughs> but um, I and so I um, I appreciate your valuing my work very much. Thank you. Ah, perfect. Thanks so much. All right. This has been Optimal Mindset. Thank you so much for checking in. It's been great to see you and we hope to see you again real soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all of my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life.